Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you're in this room. We thank you that you're moving, you're delivering, you're setting free, you're calling us closer to you. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. And Father, we declare that the anointing breaks the yoke. And I thank you for that anointing that makes preaching easy this morning. Thank you, Father, that your words would be in my mouth, that I might declare your word to your people, and that, Father, we'd be transformed by your word as we celebrate your coming, that you came for us. You chose the lowly place that we might be rescued. We thank you for that, Jesus. We give you honor and praise this morning. We thank you for being in the room, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you are ready for the word this morning? Amen. Well, we're continuing in our series, Life on Mission. We're going to talk about the pathway this morning. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me get this pulled up here. Hallelujah. Well, it's been a couple weeks since I was up here. Last week we had uh, Randy and Joanna with us. How many of you received a touch from God last week? Amen. 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 Melanie's going to come and she's going to share an incredible miracle that took place in her body. So come on up, Melanie. Hallelujah. While she's on her way, I just want to thank everyone for praying for me this week as I went to California to celebrate the life of my uncle. Uh, probably one of the hardest trips I've ever taken. Uh, didn't expect the grief to be as such. And let me grab you a microphone here, Melanie. But I felt your prayers, and it was your prayers that helped me get through this week. So thank you, everyone, for praying. All right, Melanie, tell us what the Lord did. Um, about three years ago, I suffered a torn rotator cuff on my left shoulder. Um, haven't had much range of motion in it. And... Um, being a caretaker for my father, surgery wasn't an issue, uh, even consideration because I would be out for 12 weeks uh, with my shoulder in a in a cast. Um, got prayer this past Sunday night. I have complete range of motion in my arm. Come on. With no pain. Come on. Isn't that good? Come on, that's my Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. It's going to take me a couple minutes to get there, but that's where we're going to be is John chapter 4. We're going to look at a familiar passage. And uh, excuse my voice this morning. It's a little little wonky. Uh, Still recovering. Had had some stuff going on, but um, we're going to be in John chapter 4. In in our last message on... uh, Life on Mission, we looked at uh, one of uh, my favorite verses, and I know for many it's a favorite verse. It's a life scripture for a lot of people, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And we talked about how God has a perfect pathway for each individual. And that we have talents that he's given us. And we talked about 
how the Lord works with those talents and how He's called us. And, and He has a perfect plan that is shaped perfectly for you and your personality. That my plan for my life is not the plan for your life. And the plan for your life, praise God, is not the plan for my life. Because how many of you know we don't need two of each of us, right? We are all individually created. And to know that my life is going in the right direction and fulfilling God's will for my life, doing what God has purposed for me is strategic, and it's a powerfully confident place to be in. We talked about how God is most glorified when I'm most satisfied in Him. And what a novel concept that that God receives the most glory when I'm most satisfied in Him. And how do I become satisfied in Him? By doing the will of God for my life. And that there is this wow place that we can be in, and that's that I'm in the will of God. And in John 4, where we are today, Jesus makes this stunning statement. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. My food, the very thing that gave Jesus sustenance, that strengthened Him, was the knowledge that He was doing the will of His heavenly Father. That we might be strengthened as believers, that we might come to a place where we would begin to understand that my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. That we would come to a place of absolute confidence. I'm in the will of God. I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm accomplishing the purpose for which I was born and saved. And most people, and this is a tragedy, most people never realize what they were sent to do. Most people live a starved life their entire life because they never understand their personal mandate for their life. I was having a conversation with someone last night and, and this person was talking about this void that they were feeling in their life and how they were looking to other things to fill that void. And the question that I asked this person is, well, what is your mandate? What has God called you to for this season? And he said, well, what's your mandate? And I said, I can tell you what my mandates are right now. My first and foremost mandate is to live as a son. When I live in sonship, in right relationship with the Father, I can fulfill every other mandate. My second mandate is to be a good husband. When I take care of my wife and I make sure that, that I'm being the husband that I'm called to be, that's my mandate. My third mandate is to be a good father. And this is in this order. When I take care of my kids and, and they know they're loved, then I'm fulfilling my mandate. My fourth mandate is to be a good pastor. In that order. But most of us never recognize what our mandates are. And so we live our lives trying to fulfill something. We have this void. And so I said to this person, I said, when you understand your mandate, then you will have a grace to fulfill it and you will feel satisfied in the Lord. And then God will be most glorified. And so Jesus makes this statement, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. 
So let's go into the context of this massively important moment in Scripture. John 4, 28. So jump back a few verses. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? They left the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, <coughs> I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, and here's our verse, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields that they are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. I could preach an entire series on one line there, come see a man. I mean, here's, here's the woman who is transformed. Come see the man who told me all about me. She began to understand her own personal mandate in that moment. She had encountered living water. She was there to fill water pots and she took a drink that would forever satisfy her. But the, the disciples, which it just, I, I love the disciples because I can relate to them. Because how often are we serving Jesus and don't recognize who he is? How often in our journey of following Jesus do we not recognize the impact he's making in the current moment because we're so caught up in temporal things? Rabbi, eat something. Have some food. Here's some matzah and some fish. Have some lunch. And he says, I have food which you do not know about. Peter, did you bring him lunch without telling us? Are you trying to earn brownie points again? Are you, John, are you trying to be that beloved again? Here we are, we've gone to town to get him something to eat, and you've already fed him? Guys, do you not get it? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he gives them a directive in verse 35. He says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. It's about what you see. It's about where your focus is. When we struggle with life, the daily living, listen, I get it. We have finances to deal with. We've got family situations to deal with. We've got job situations. We've got housing situations. We could go down the list. We all have something that we are facing. We all have promises that have not come to pass yet. We all have things that we're struggling with. But what he says in this moment, he says, get your eyes off the lunch. Stop looking at lunch and look up because the harvest here, the woman says, come see the man. So what happens? They left the city to come out to the watering hole to find out what was happening out there. And Jesus says, lift your eyes. He's not saying look to heaven. He says, look at the crowd that's headed this way. There's a harvest. Many things overtake our attention and cause worry and really stop us from seeing much more. 
I have enough to cope with without thinking about great and divine missions God might have for me. How often do we live that way? I can't think about a mandate for my life. Do you know what's going on in my life? I can't think about winning people for Jesus when I'm struggling to serve him myself. Real talk, right? I mean, let, let's get real this morning. Let's, let's not play pretend and act like we're the most holy Christians who just live. I wanted to punch people this week. I'm just going to be honest. Can I, I'll be real. If no one else will, I will be real because I was grieving. I was dealing with emotions. I didn't want to share the gospel with anyone on the plane. I'm coming back on the flight back. I had two flights. I was really annoyed because American changed my flights. I was supposed to have a direct flight from L.A. to Austin. Then they changed it and made me fly through Phoenix. And so on the flight from Phoenix to Austin, there's a medical emergency right at my row. And I'm trying to watch a stupid movie. I had my headphones in. I didn't want to look. And the Lord said, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching a movie. (laughs) Real talk. And he said, that woman has low blood sugar, and that's why she's just passed out. You need to get her help. And, I mean, there, there were no medical professionals on the plane. I'm not a medical professional. But I had a word of knowledge. And so then it turned out that the woman next to me was an RN, but she didn't know what she was doing. And so all these flight attendants are trying to get this woman up off the ground. So I pulled my earphones out and put them away and turned off my movie, which wasn't a very good movie anyways, but I was grieving. I just wanted to watch a movie. And I said, I leaned over to the woman and I said, ma'am, are you a diabetic? I'm a pre-diabetic. Barely can talk. I'm a pre-diabetic. I said, have you eaten today? No. Okay. Get her some orange juice, please. And then the Lord said, don't give her orange juice. Put some sugar under her tongue. I said, oh. I said, do you have any sugar packets? So we put the sugar packet under her tongue, gave her some water. And I said, what else is going on? She goes, well, I took my blood pressure medication without eating. Oh, okay. So now that we've got you talking again, get some food in her. And then finally, a man from the front of the plane goes, I'm an EMT. I can help. Well, great, thanks. I was trying to watch a movie. (laughs) And then the Lord says, ask her who she's grieving over. And I said, no. (laughs) And so finally, Alina said, ma'am, who are you grieving? She said, my sister died, and I'm on the way to her funeral. I said, well, I'm coming home from a funeral. I said, can I pray with you? She says, no. I said, no, you want me to pray with you. She said, yeah, I do. I'm just angry at God. So then ensues a conversation in ministry because I had to get over myself to live out the mandate. And that is one of the most difficult things we have to do is we have to let go of what's happening on the inside. Do I want to do that? No. Do I want to be grumpy? Yeah. Did I want to throat punch the car rental agency person? Yes. Because I had the car back on time and they were trying to charge me for two days. 
And I argued and said, no, here on the receipt. And I wanted to throat punch the guy. And the Lord said, he's hurting. He's confused about something. Shut up. Uh, can I just be real? I don't want to hear the voice of the Lord when I'm in a bad mood. And the disciples are saying to Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. You haven't eaten. And I'm saying to myself, Jacob, grieve, be angry. And the Lord's saying, he's hurting. This person's confused. Minister to this person. Let go of what's going on. I don't want to. And then Jesus says to them, look up. We get so inward focused and self-absorbed. Me, my concerns, life is all about me, my pressures, my needs. And we only see that which immediately affects us, that which only immediately concerns us. And the problem with that is our mission, our calling, our gifting is all about serving others. And it's all about seeing the lives of others benefited. But we don't want to do that when we're going through something difficult. See, when looking down, I'm watching my step. When looking down, I'm watching my journey in life. And looking down means my concerns are more me than anything else. And when I'm looking down, I can ignore what is going on around me. I can ignore the pain of others, the activity of others. I can easily miss some of the amazing things going on around me. I remember I was on a trip one time and I was traveling with a friend and I'm driving and I'm seeing these dolphins out in the, the Florida Bay. And I keep saying, look up. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something. I said, you're going to miss it. Look up. Because so often we're here. We're stuck here. When looking down, I can easily isolate myself. It doesn't matter what's happening around me because I don't see what is happening around me. Oh, I might bump into some things, but as long as I don't hang around what bumped me, it should not affect me too much. Just move on around the bump and keep watching my feet. There's dead people all around us, and we don't care. Just walk in the dark, because that's what we do in the dark. We watch our feet and see little of what is going on around my life. My concern is just to stay safe for the moment. Not be affected what might be in the shadows. You see, there could be bad things in the dark shadows, things I don't really want to know about or be affected by. doesn't matter that in the dark shadow is an abused child, a marriage breaking up, a family fragmented by rebellion, a person in poverty, a broken heart, a person in need. Because as long as I'm focused on me, I don't need to see. And if I don't see, I'm not responsible. And if I'm not responsible, I can be focused on me. We don't see, and what we don't see, we don't have to respond to. Just keep looking down so you don't have to concern yourself about others. And the cry of Jesus rings out through all of this self-occupation. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. What a dangerous thing to do. We might see some things we wish we'd rather not see. We might feel some emotions long buried for fear of what might erupt in our own hearts as we see the same uh, people facing the same pain that we are facing. 
We might feel a new compulsion. I must do something about this. I remember hearing a story of a missionary one time felt called to this particular country, and I can't say the name of the country because it gives give too much details about the story. But this missionary moved to this country and moved into this little apartment and kept his windows closed. And he was angry about several things happening in his life. His wife had died. She was seven months pregnant when she died, lost the baby, and God calls him to move to another country. And he's saying, God, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. And he kept his windows shut. And he'd go to the grocery store and he'd come back. And he'd go to the little church that he was helping and he'd come back, but he kept his windows shut. And one day, one of the men from the church came over and said to him, why are your windows shut? He said, because I don't want to see. Because if I see, I'll have to act. And this friend of his said, you've got to open your windows. And when he opened his windows, right below him, he had never seen it before, was a pregnancy crisis center run by a widow who had lost her husband and was running this crisis center and these prostituted girls who had gotten pregnant would come to this crisis center and it brought up all the pain of losing his own child, of losing his wife and he had to face it. He ended up marrying the widow across the street they ended up having children. They ended up rescuing children. And God redeemed something that had been so painful. But what happened was he got his eyes off of his situation to help in someone else's situation and his own situation got redeemed. You have to look up. It's a dangerous thing to do to lift our eyes away just for a moment and see the needs of others, the cries of the multitudes. But you must understand this is the beginning of true satisfaction and fulfillment. This is the start of a new and amazing life journey. For people just coming into faith in Jesus, this is a new language. This is foreign. The idea that I need to look away from my immediate concerns and focus and see what is going on around me, None of my business could be the cry. And Jesus is trying to get us to make it our business. Christmas is all about that. That Jesus came into a time and a season in humanity. He could have come at any time. But he chose to come at that time, at that perfect time, be born as the most innocent, the most vulnerable, of creation, a little baby. And yet it was all about getting our eyes off of our situation. The wise men who came, who knew that their lives were at stake to come and worship the child, came. They got their eyes off of themselves because they had something to fulfill in prophetic history. God orchestrated it. We have to look up because his business is touching 
a hurting world around us, bringing healing and hope to the distressed and the lonely, to bring hope to those whose lives have been crushed by a cruel and devastating blow. The reality is we've all gone through something. All of us, we could go around the room. I know some of your stories. It breaks my heart that you've had to go through what you've had to go through. But the old adage is true. Your mess becomes a ministry. Your mess becomes a message. Your victimization becomes victory. God turns every test into a triumph. God is the God who flips the script on our bad situations. And the way he does it is that he causes us to look up. And when we look up, we recognize, I've been there. In the middle of my own grieving, I can help someone else grieve. In the middle of my own pain, I could reach down and help someone get up. But we become so self-absorbed, we never look up. And we become so focused on the lunch. Rabbi, eat something. I have food which you do not know. Now, once we get this amazing thing, once we get this, an amazing thing comes into play. First, I have to define my gifting. What is it that God has gifted me with? Then that gifting naturally draws us to where that gifting will find best expression. <coughs> I've, I've known the gift of the prophetic, of being a prophet over my life since I was a young child. I've known that my whole life. It's something that God put in me young. But when it comes into focus, focus specific, meaning the gift operates most effectively for me when I understand where I belong. Now for me, my gift is most effective in the local church context. But that doesn't mean that the gift doesn't operate in other places. I've had opportunities to prophesy over heads of state. I've had opportunities to minister to government leaders. I've had opportunities to prophesy over nations and political leaders. And I've had opportunities in the mall to prophesy to unbelievers. But when I understand where my gift operates the best, I feel empowered and ready. So my gifting has always drawn me to the church and church issues. That's where my gift has always drawn me, is in that context. And I can be having problems here in my local church and be quite absorbed in them. But if I dare look up and see what is happening around me, I have to come out of the self-absorption state. I naturally become concerned for others in their churches. It's incredible to me. How the gift operates sometimes because I'll be going through the same issue as a pastor friend of mine and yet I'll have the perfect solution for them. <laughs> Why is that? Because I looked up and I become less concerned about my lunch and more about their lunch. I become less concerned about me eating because I have food which they do not know. And then I can minister into their need. And you know what's really cool about that? is often God will then take care of the issue that I'm having. Because I looked up. You see, my gift naturally draws me toward areas of focus that are outside of myself. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, some are too scared to look away from themselves. What if they see the surrounding needs? What if I see that someone's broken around me? 
They know they'll be compelled to respond. Because that's what happens. But that is a life led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit causing people to see even maybe what they're not ready to see. But I'll tell you the joy. The joy that comes when you, out of the gift of God, begin to touch those beyond self. Just like Jesus. This is the true food. This is what really brings a sense of meaning and value to give our lives to the harvest. We must first change our attitude toward life and what we perceive around us. So far in this series, we've defined two areas toward entering our destiny and mission. Number one, defining the gift of God over our lives. What has God gifted you with? And the second is allowing that gift to cause us to see things around us, lifting our eyes. But there is a third factor, and that's an attitude shift <coughs> that must be required. John four thirty five. Do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for the harvest. That word look there in the Greek means to carefully contemplate. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and carefully contemplate the fields. As I grew in the prophetic flow, I was drawn to church and to, to Christians and how things were. And might I say, honestly, I grew critical. Because when you see things, you have two options. When you carefully contemplate, when you look at problems around you, you can do two things. You can become critical of the issues. Or you can become a contributor to solutions. My gift caused me to see and then to examine in death. And the point being is that the attitude change we must have is when we really look at what's going on, when you allow the Holy Spirit to show you things, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to draw you into becoming part of the answer to what you see. Anyone can see the problems going on. It doesn't take a prophet to see what's going wrong. That's not prophetic, that's pathetic. Therefore, let me say this, you can never just be a church attender. I need you to get that this morning. You can't just be a church attender. If you want to be part of what God has for your life, you have to become mission-orientated, focused, and effective. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to quicken you, to create burdens, to put solutions in your heart, to become part of the answer and not part of the problem creator. For years, the church has just complained about the problems of the world, expecting the world to act like the church. That's not going to happen. The world will never act like the church or behave like the church. So why do we get upset with the world when they act like the world? Because we aren't problem solvers. We're not. We just like to be critical. That's why the political world is a mess. Because no one has actual answers. I, I was listening. I, I really try not to listen to the news or any of that stuff because it just makes me angry. And it's not good if I'm angry. <coughs> and I was listening. I just caught this short clip. And one person says, oh, well, you're just speaking like a true Republican. 
And the other person said, well, it'd take a real Democrat to know that. And I'm thinking, both of you say you have answers, but you've never given them. And it's the same in the church. Oh, well, we have all these issues in our community. I have sat in meetings where I've heard people talk about all the problems in the community and never once was a solution offered. Because we pride ourselves in being able to identify problems. That's called low-level thinking. To identify a problem is at the bottom of the rung. Identifying it well is second tier. Diagnosing it. So you can identify a problem, then you can diagnose the root of the problem. You still haven't solved the problem. Real medical care in the medical world is not identifying the problem or diagnosing the problem. It's not even treating the problem. It's curing the problem. We don't even have that in our medical system. We don't like to cure things because we can keep the money flowing if we don't cure. It's the same way in the church. If we actually cured the issue, well, then what would happen to our ministries? If I empowered you to walk out your destiny, what happens to my ministry? It actually blossoms. But we're so afraid that I'll lose control of people. The church for so long is so afraid that if people discover who they really are and walk out their real purpose and destiny, well, I won't have anyone to minister to anymore. There's a world going to hell and you're afraid for people to walk out their destiny? Yeah. We are. Let's just get real about it. Now look at Jesus' ministry. He brought solutions where the religious just wanted to bring judgment. So you have a gift for the poor. You, you, you have a, a gift to ministering to the poor. Don't sit around and criticize welfare. They're actually doing something, whether it's broken or not. The government's actually doing something where the church just criticizes. Oh, this is dangerous. So rather than criticizing government, get involved in meeting their needs and empowering them for a better solution. I'm going to go here, and I'll probably get in trouble later, and that's okay. I'm so tired of both political parties asking, acting like they have a solution. You have one political party who says, just tax everyone, just tax them to the max, and then we'll pay for all of our programs. They actually have solutions. Right or wrong, they actually want to help people. Then you have another party who says, well, if they're poor, it's their fault, and we don't have to do anything about it. Their fault. Neither of those work. And I'm believing for the church to rise up with real solutions to bring real transformation to people's lives so that we stop depending on government altogether. And that we would transform these systems that actually keep people impoverished. Because it's the church that's called to bring solutions. But it's easy to criticize. Jesus brought solutions. You have a gift of leadership. 
but you sit around and criticize other leaders rather than bringing solutions that lead. You have a gift of giving, but you don't see what needs to be done. Sorry, you have a gift of giving, not seeing what needs to be done, but seeking to bring resources to the need. You have a gift of exhortation, but all you do is complain about how everything's going wrong and how tough your life is rather than exhorting someone. You have a gift of teaching, but all you do is criticize what other people teach. See, this is the issue, is that we become so self-absorbed. We get so focused on ourself that all we can do is criticize what others are doing rather than lifting our eyes. Missions, ministry, flowing in your gifting is about being a solutions-orientated person rather than a critical person. And here's the thing as I close. The Holy Spirit now works in our lives to bring creative solutions to the impossible issues we see. As long as we are stuck here, Bill Johnson calls it navel-gazing. As long as we navel-gaze, we will never see the harvest. And that's the key, church. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. We are most satisfied when God is most glorified. And God is most glorified when, he, when we are most satisfied. How do we become satisfied? We eat the food of him who sent me. We eat the food. That's our food. To do the will of him who sent me. We're going to take communion this morning. Before we do, I want to make sure that everyone's right with God this morning. You've surrendered your life. You've repented of your sin. Communion is for believers. It's for those who have chosen to follow Jesus. It's a, it's a sacred right given to those who have chosen to follow Jesus. There's life that comes in communion. Communion is a powerful thing. But this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never repented of your sins, you've never chosen to follow him, and you're in this room, I want to give you that opportunity. A couple things that you got to do. You've got to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is not just apologizing. It's changing your mind over a matter. It's making a decision. I'm not going to think this way anymore. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to choose to live differently. If you've never done that this morning, you want to do that. I want you to slip up your hand. We're going to pray together. If you want to choose to follow Jesus this morning, brother, God has such a good plan for your life. Church, let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry. Thank you for forgiving me. I choose to follow you. I lay my life before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Or visit www.equippingchurch.us.